Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Beer Ladies Podcast with your hosts, Lisa, Katie, Christina, and myself, Tandy. You can find us at our website or all over social media. Our website is beerladiespodcast.com and our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, Blue Sky, TikTok, and even Facebook are at Beer Ladies Pod or Beer Ladies Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can find our merch store link uh, on any of our social media bios uh, or in the show notes for this episode. And if you'd like to sponsor an episode, do mail us at beerladiespodcast at gmail.com. Now back to the beer. Hello and welcome back to the Beer Ladies Podcast. I'm Lisa and I am your host this evening, this afternoon, this morning, whenever we're getting into your ears. And I am joined today by my two co-hosts, Katie and Christina. Hello, ladies. Hello. So we are excited because we are bringing you some more history knowledge. We know that uh, while we were on our, our holiday break, a lot of you were saying, we want more history episodes. We want more history episodes. And so we are here to oblige. But before we get into today's topic, which is going to be, we'll say medieval plus, and then we'll, we'll get into what it is properly in a minute. We're going to start with our regular, what are you drinking? So actually, Christina, I'm going to start with you because I know you're not on the booze tonight, but you do have something that looks very pretty as we record. Yes, I have my skull or my skeleton uh, teacup, which I'm obsessed with, which is great on this very cold and windy day. Here, here. Nothing wrong with a good cup of tea. We are always here for it. So, Katie, what do you have? And I will just like link in, do a little segue into the cold IPA cold. because it's it's not actually that cold. It's just miserable. No, yeah, it's just, <laughs> just it's windy. the sideways rain that gets to you. People were saying, oh, I can't wait for it to warm up. And I'm like, I prefer it to be zero degrees than sideways rain. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, I am drinking a rascal cold IPA. And it is part of their breakthrough IPA breakout. Sorry, outbreak. I'll get there eventually. Outbreak <laughs> series. And I would really love this to join their core range because yes, I really like it. It's a lovely IPA and it's actually, it's become one of my go-to IPAs when I'm in the in the off license and I've had it on tap in the Rascal. Um, and it's lovely. It is lovely. I really enjoyed that one. And the Galway Bay cold IPA is also really lovely. So as much as I can sometimes be a curmudgeon for new, and I'm air quoting, IPAs, actually that I'm totally here for. So more cold IPA. Wonderful. And I have, I, I'm I'm sort of in between. I'm neither on nor off the booze as such. I have the Lucky Saint, um, which is a non-alcoholic lager. So I'm actually giving this a shot for the first time this evening. Um, mostly because it's a school night and, you know, there's a lot going on this week. Uh, but I have to say that the nice uh, folks who distributed here in Ireland sent us some, so I will be giving it out to the other beer ladies as well to uh, to give it a shot to give it a, uh, give that a, a little you know kind of the old college try. But I think Lucky Saint, I decided it was still on brand too because we drumroll are going to be talking about monastic brewing Ooh, and mostly on the ladies mostly on the ladies so we, we're gonna have to mention the men a little bit because they're around they're around but uh this is well, you know one of those topics where i know enough to be dangerous katie i think you've got some interesting research on what's going on today but this is really one where we're, we're gonna kind of lead on christina but there's some other oh, there's no. some other parts of this where <laughs> i have 
my own, I'll say, specialty areas of interest. And we're, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. But before we get into all the nuns, um, you know, because we only hear about these cool nuns. These are these are not like, you know, these are not like the nuns that scared me at school. These are different. These are different. So before we get into that, though, I would love Christina to give us a little bit of a recap of what she has been up to lately. She's been uh, going off to do some fun brewing and uh, getting yeah. ready for some book stuff. So quick recap on that before we dive in. So I'm wearing a Closet Brewing Project hoodie, which I am obsessed, well, sweatshirt, which I'm obsessed with. So I was in Edinburgh um, uh, the 12th through the 14th of January, um, and we were brewing a collaboration brew that we're going to be serving at one of the launches for The Devils in the Draft Lines, which is my book with Camera Books on the history of women in brewing in the UK, which is available for pre-order now. Yay! Um, yay! Um, so we were basing it off of sort of these old recipes that women wrote to each other or were in their own recipe books or just women's recipes that we found. So one of them that I found when I was looking through all this is a Scotch Ale by Lady Holenby. Um, and so we looked at the brewing process and Lucy and Lizzie looked at that and we just got inspired by that. So it's sort of historical-ish, I should say, um, <laughs> because we chose sort of our herbal additions, uh, not necessarily because this is exactly what they would put in the beer, but because they sort of were inspired by different phases of Scottish history. So for example, there was a Bronze Age burial in North Mains, and it was a woman interred with an ale or with a grain-based, probably alcoholic beverage that was um, herbed with meadowsweet. So we said, okay, we're going to put meadowsweet in there. Now there's the famous folklore story of the picks brewing with Heather. So we said, okay, oh, we're yes. going to put Heather in there. And then of course, you know, there's other brewing herbs. And so we decided to include yarrow as well to get that really nice sagey background. And so we decided to brew with these and we had a lot of fun making all these hot teas and things or not hot teas, these herbal teas to kind of figure out what combination was going to taste best and what we really liked. And um, so that was a lot of fun, but I think, what we really enjoyed was looking through all of the things that women in the book that I wrote sort of got in trouble for doing and had their licenses to brew or their licenses to run an alehouse um, potentially restricted. So gossiping, lying, these sorts of things. And we tried to do um, every single one on the list. So <laughs> playing unseasonal hey. music, we decided to play Monster Mash at like 10 in the morning, you know, like these <laughs> kinds of things. Um, and I'm going to be writing a blog post up about it. And of course, but it will be lots of fun, please. If you're in the Edinburgh area, I will post more details, but it should be, you know, March 15, 16th, please come down to the launch and you will be able to sample the brew. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And before we get into the nun stuff, I do want Lisa to talk about what she has been up to oh, with her new right. project. <laughs> so I, I've <laughs> sort of- we do that. Oh yes, please just Katie. Describe your hoodie. Oh, that's Christine. a great oh, show. Yeah. This is so it extra. Is absolutely we love it. amazing. So there is okay. a big rainbow on it. And then in kind of like, pink fluffy cloud letters it says closet brewing and there's like a wilderness scene with little people in it and we're it gonna says, have to make sure this is on our instas it is amazing we'll take a picture good beer with good people i absolutely <laughs> love it i think it is fabulous and i just don't want you to skip over it just say Absolutely. oh i'm wearing a closet brewing hoodie it's an amazing no hoodie. It really it's is. my it's my favorite. I think it's it's it, yeah. I think it's my favorite piece of beer merch. I saw Lucy wearing it, and I was like, "Where did where can I buy that? I need that in my life." Um, oh, so I'm okay. obsessed. So now no, we'll go to Lisa, and we'll just make my imposter yes. syndrome massive. <laughs> oh as you're nonsense! Overachievers, you know. <laughs> well, mine isn't even that exciting. I didn't do much new exactly. I've just spun out, if you like, all of my weirdo guide to Dublin pubs blog posts into their own little online home. So for those who don't know, I've been, I try to go to a new pub each week. It doesn't always happen because life, but the goal is to try to be, have at least, you know, one new pub a week. I go and I take pictures. I write it up. I make sure that we can say whether or not this is one that's kid friendly or not, or do they have food or do they have traditional music? You know, what are the, what are the things that make this pub unique and why you might want to go? Um, 
So yeah, there. Are, I'm the good news is I'm never going to run out. So if you can just, uh, you know, anyone, you can just, you know, point your your browsers to uh, weirdodublinpubs.com. That will take you there. Um, so I've just moved them all over from my, one of my other websites, and they're now standalone. And uh, I'm trying to even do the TikToking for the for them, even though I'm very bad at TikTok. But there's an Instagram for it as well. Uh, it's on Threads. Uh, it's somewhere on Blue Sky. I'm at least sort of cross promoting it over there as well. But the nice thing is, you know, try to do the pub a week. Try to say whether or not they have craft beer, and of course, possibly most importantly. Is there any story or any folklore that the pub might be haunted? This is also something we want to capture and promote. If so, because because you know, our regular listeners know we are never not on our spooky stuff if we can avoid it. So, mm-hmm. you know, got to get that in there. So, yeah. And if there's a pub anyone really wants me to get to, let me know, because I, I admit my north side bias. I, I don't like to cross the river if I don't have to. But I do know that the ones that will really drive traffic are all on, you know, the other side of the river. We'll get there. We'll get there. But uh, just, folks, we've got a lot of good stuff on this side, you know, so yeah, have a bias. North but side, yes, best side. more to come. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> North side, best side. So that's out there too. So yeah, that's my little project. I try to, again, do it weekly. doesn't always happen because sometimes, you know, or there's weather. I have to say, I, I did do one very close to me. I haven't written it up yet as of this. It'll be out by the time this drops. But, you know, because of the, the enormous storm, I was like, I'm going to go to a pub that's really close because I can't be, I can't be out in this. So uh, sometimes, you know, laziness does win out. But, but we are not here to talk about lazy people today. Oh, no. Oh, no. We are talking about monastic brewing and all sorts of cool stuff related to it. But I think we also want to sort of, you know, grounded in why we're talking about this right now specifically because here in ireland folks we have a new bank holiday and we are very very excited about it so i think christina before i go to you katie maybe you want to set the scene for people who might not know about our bank holiday for saint bridget this is this is our second year is it it is our second year of the bank holiday so it is i think so it's still new uh, though it's still new we're getting used to it our most famous saint, will I say that? Yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, so Saint Bridget, she is, you know, go the ladies. She is, um, and we have done a whole episode on Saint we Bridget have. before, where I've spoke about what we learned in school about Saint Bridget, which may or may not have been true, because she may <laughs> or may not have been a real person, or or yeah, these things happen. or an amalgamation of lots of different different types of people. But yeah, it's a very special day and it's great to see um, a female saint or exactly. get the recognition. It's like St. Patrick has had his time, you know? Yeah. Come on. Yeah, yeah. What do you do then? Oh, everyone goes out, gets hammered, you know? We're going <laughs> to St. Bridget is cooler. It's it's like, it's in February. You're coming out of dry January. She's the patron saint of uh, brewers, isn't she? Saint exactly. Bridget? So there's a so there's a direct connection. It's not like with St. Patrick, like like you say, where it's just kind of an excuse to be out on the booze. So, you know, she's she's Saint telling Saint you. St. Patrick wasn't even Irish. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, he just, you know, rocked know. up. He's like us. He just turned up on a boat and was like, here I am. So granted, maybe yeah. not by choice in his case, but hey, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Sometimes people tell not stories. Really by choice. But uh, you know, Ireland welcomes the people from both. <laughs> here we go here we go and yes we'd like to think so but so we're you know we're focusing on bridget as you say katie we have an entire episode in our archives folks go back and you know listen to that but you know again i think it's really important that you know whether or not she was a real person or like you say an amalgamation of many people or you know at different times different versions of that women were doing all kinds of brewing as we know from christina's books coming out but when we get into this you know sort of specifically monastic brewing christina tell us a little bit about what does bridget represent here and what what are we talking about when we start to get into some of the actual people involved right so alongside stories of bridget we have many sort of legends about her and brewing oh, yeah. so famously i think the 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 one that that is often most often written about is the bathwater story which has been sort of diluted to this idea that she turned her own bathwater into into beer which is not exactly how the story goes it's more that <laughs> um 
she saw a group of sick people and they had had water prepared separately for bathing for them. And she turned that into ale after they asked her to provide that for them. So it wasn't that she was in her bathtub and was like, you know what? I would like a pint. Um, a little more complicated um, than that. But um, I think one of perhaps the other most famous story is the story of she has, you know, founded the monastic community in Kildare and it's new there and she has, you know, her nuns and she gets the idea at the last minute around Easter that she is going to brew ale to supply all the churches around her. Now, this is a new concept for this particular uh, location of course because they're new um but she doesn't have enough malt and she doesn't have enough equipment to do this so the nuns around her are panicking but what that tells us is all of those nuns know how to brew because mm. they know that she doesn't have the right stuff to do it now this story is fictional probably um i don't want to offend everybody but you know <laughs> most likely fictional but the writer who wrote it is perhaps talking about and speaking about nuns um that he would have been familiar with in his own time because it was written 150 years after she supposedly lived so he's talking about and writing about these women with the knowledge of what nuns would have had around him and so again it's not surprising that she brewed just the time that she brewed and this was new and again the nuns knew that she didn't have the right stuff to do it Right. And that very clearly tells us that they were familiar with brewing. And so we have this amazing book, um, which I can really highly recommend if you're interested in um, nuns or female monasticism and all. So this is um, by Tracy Collins. And let me see if I can get it to not learn. And this is there like quite a tome you're holding up. Like this is a proper yeah. solid kind of book. So so this is Female Monasticism in Medieval Ireland and Archaeology, and it's by Tracy Collins. And this is an amazing book. Um, I have looked through it and analyzed um, what she's looked through, basically, in my study. So, of course, I have a book on Irish brewing history that's coming out next year, around this time. Um, so this was a really amazing source for, for my book. Um, and I really, again, do highly recommend this book and through, um, you know, Tracy Collins's book and her, and the research and the things that she's analyzed, it's clear none for brewing, um, by the archeological evidence she has evidence, um, much later into the medieval period, later medieval, there's clear cut data that shows that nuns were brewing in these monastic communities which I think is just really fascinating because, you know, we forget that nuns were brewing um, as well alongside uh, monks. And because there, there, there's quite a bit to be done about monks and brewing. We talk about that quite a, quite a bit in, in sort of beer history. That's kind of the, the quintessential monk with the, with the, with the pint or the, um, the tankard is a common motif, I think, even in craft beer now. But we forget, but nuns were brewing right alongside them. And I think um, books like uh, Collins is here really help reignite that idea um, and, and find that really hard evidence there. But of course, you can go to the National Museum of Ireland and Archaeology, and they have an amazing um, exhibition on Glendalough, and you can see the barley malt, um, the really old barley malt from the medieval period that's there, which is really, really cool. And then, of course, we have kilns found in monastic communities. There's all kinds of evidence to support um, monastic brewing, and particularly um, in this book, Nuns Brewing. So be aware, I'll be talking more about that in my book that comes out next year. But if you want stuff now, seriously, get this book. It is amazing. It is such a great resource. So alongside that, my book that's coming out in March, yay, March. The, Devils in the, the Devils in the Draft Lines. Um, I talk about uh, religious brewing traditions, um, Jewish brewing traditions, as well as medieval Christian Catholic brewing traditions. And of course, we have brewing nuns there. Um, one of the stories I talk about is a particular priory where the prioress and her nuns had a bit of a falling out. Uh, that's a bit of an understatement. Several of the nuns had left <laughs> an apostasy and it was drama to the point where they had to bring 
the, the case to a higher to a higher person to kind of figure out what was going to happen. And on pain of cursing, which is excommunication, mm. they had a list of things that they had to do. And one of them was to hire a woman, a lay woman, to brew beer for them, or brew ale in this case, for them. And she had to be of good reputation. So that is another thing that I do want to stress. And this is the same with monastic communities. Just because there was brewing on the place doesn't necessarily mean it was the nuns that were doing it themselves. They could have also hired, and it's the same thing with monks. It wasn't necessarily the monks brewing themselves. They could have hired um, lay people to be doing the work for them on their extensive properties, like a lot of um, the properties in Dublin, for example, a lot of the churches, they had these liberties, these big properties, they had other people um, sometimes bring for them or melting for them out on the property, as opposed to the actual members of the religious community who could be quite few in number, depending on the, the size. So something to keep in mind, just because brewing was happening in these communities doesn't necessarily mean that it was nuns themselves that were doing it. Now, with that in mind, I want to turn to Lisa to talk about perhaps one of the most famous nuns and sort of her stories. Sure. So I, for those who are just listening, I'm going I'm to show, I'm going to sort of scroll down. I'm wearing my naughty Hildegard ESB shirt. So it's, it's a sort of Hildegard of Bingen or von Bingen, as we used to say more in the 80s and 90s. But now we just translate the von into the of because we're normal like that. So we didn't back in the day. Now we do. But yeah, Hildegard is awesome. She is a polymath. She does everything because, you know, she she's, you know, certainly, you know, this amazing nun in that she's writing about stuff or to your point, Christina, she's she's writing, but she's actually basically dictating because she can do that. Like she is fancy enough that she can just like talk and have someone else take down everything. And I think that that's also an important piece too around you know, thinking about these monastic communities, both both male and the female, in many, if not most cases, these these are your posh folks. So they may not be doing a lot of the hands-on stuff themselves. Sometimes they are though. So it's it's interesting in that, you know, there is no one kind of blanket statement, but it is worth saying, you know, in most cases, you know, these are people coming from, you know, like this already very sort of uh let's let's say sort of glorified part of the the population already, because they're not necessarily, you know, royalty. They're like they're like your mid-tier rich people. They're 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 up there, you know, going all the way up to the top. And that's especially, you know, with their extra daughters or extra sons who you don't want to marry off, they go into the religious life because then they they're gonna they're gonna get you up there by doing their praying and and so on and so forth. But they also kind of become tourist attractions themselves. Like it is a whole thing. There's a whole piece we could do that we probably won't get into today, but just around kind of them, you know, how these become inns. And you know, we've talked a little bit about that before with kind of. Um, you know, oldest pubs and things like that, because a lot of these monastic communities do turn into, you know, other stuff. But again, Hildegard, she's just awesome. She's born in about 1098, you know, goes to the nunnery probably when she is maybe eight, maybe nine, maybe 10, maybe 12 or 13. Like there's no, you know, kind of, you know, definitive proof of when that is, but it's because she's one of so many children. And she is like, a little bit of a weirdo from the start that her parents are like, this is the religious one. Like, this is the one who's going to go and like intercede for us because, you know, she's having her visions, she's having stuff like happen, you know, and again, this is all kind of from, from her mouth, if you like, um, you know, from when she's very young, but you know, she's there, she's being mentored in, uh, in, in her particular religious community. She's writing stuff, she's composing stuff. And I would say probably for a lot of people, my age, um, in forties and fifties and stuff probably would have come across her first as a composer because Anyone who remembers the big sort of chant, you know, like Gregorian chant revival of the early '90s, a lot of um, a lot of Hildegard's music also got sort of recorded and put out at that time, late '80s, early '90s. People were very big into their their sort of medieval music, but her music is amazing. It's just fascinating to listen to, and it's you know, it's the kind of thing. It's it's very soothing to have on in the background, but also like it's weird, and I like it because it's weird. So you know. She wrote music and, and again, highly recommend a lot of those things. She wrote plays and um, we can link to, there's there's some fantastic episodes of Going Medieval uh, where Eleanor Yenigo talks about her. We've also, we're also gonna link to one of her articles on her, which is just, you know, absolutely fabulous. It's hilarious, but 
it's really talking about, you know, how much we know about her, which is pretty unusual for not just a woman of that time, but like anyone of that time, because she was kind of so prolific. And I think one of the, the sort of cool facts is that um, she actually like, again, kind of becomes a tourist attraction because her stuff's getting out there. The, you know, the, the Catholic Church, like the Pope and Rome sends people out to be like, ooh, we don't know if we like this. And they turn up you know, to be like, do we need to like excommunicate or what's going on? But they turn up and they're like, she's awesome. We love it. And so she basically then gets to go and have her own religious community. There's some amazing miracles, maybe, maybe not and stuff that goes on. But like, you know, she just becomes more and more popular. But the other reason we're talking about her today is that, you know, there in what's now Northern Germany, she's brewing with hops. And we know that because she writes about it. So you will sometimes see, uh, you know, people sort of take this in a sort of to a sort of logical extreme being like, she's the first person to use. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Just hops in beer. No, this is not... This is not a thing. Do not go down that path. But, um, you know, she definitely writes about it. And she writes about hops specifically, you know, as a preservative for the beer. So she's really like, oh, this is cool. This makes your beer last longer. She's not talking about it should be dank or it should be, you know, we're not. There's none of that. There's none of that. But <laughs> it's amazing. And, you know, she writes about all kinds of other other sort of um other medicine she writes about some some more naughty things that I'd highly recommend folks take a take a, a read of or listen to. But you know we're we're kind of a family podcast, right? So we won't get too much into it. That's a lie. We're not a family podcast. What? But we're a family podcast. <laughs> I can't to know. <laughs> no, you know the fuck we are not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's definitely like she's all there writing about like the female sexuality. It is you know it's hot stuff. Recommend. So there's some fantastic stuff. Again, the music is kind of my my OG jam with her, but really, really cool. Like, and again, I highly recommend people go back and listen to some of the episodes of Going Medieval, talking about these plays and kind of almost like proto operas. She gets her nuns to put on because they sound like amazing, like just nuts, um, but in a good way. So it's cool. So we've got all of, you know, so much of her writing. And again, she was fancy enough that she could dictate it to people. Uh, but yeah, you know, her stuff about hops is really, really interesting. Because again, we're we're really talking, you know, kind of 12th century here. Hops aren't really still going to become a big thing in brewing really for another couple hundred years. Like it's just kind of stuff people are doing, you know, to make sure that their stuff kind of lasts locally. But I don't know, Christine, if you want to kind of get back and do that sort of definition about sort of we've got hops, we've got, you know, 
We've got ale, we've got beer, we've got Gruet, and why people are wrong about Gruet. Let's start with that. Yeah, so I I think, um, and Martin Cornell has written extensively about this. Oh, yeah. um, this this idea. Um, I think people have recreate beers and ales, I should say, ales in um, UK and Ireland, and they call them group. But that really isn't quite a thing here. I mean, that's a very specific kind of thing. Um, and very clear in Belgium what that was. There's, mm. you know, we have a lot of data and for that. Whereas um, Martin Cornell would argue um, there's evidence that a lot of ales might not have had any herbal additions, or if they did, maybe one, um, or they would be repurposed into medicinal beers, and that's when you can kind of get more of a combination. And yes, yeah, so surely some would have uh, multiple herbal additives, possibly, but it wasn't something that was added as a matter of course. It wasn't right. something that um, necessarily everybody added the same thing. It's certainly, um, and I would agree um, with Martin Cornell wholeheartedly on his sort of take on um, herbal additives in um, UK beers. And I would extend that also to to Ireland um, again, because certainly um, in Irish law and Breton law, if they were using a standard herbal or herbal co combination, it would have popped up in the laws and it doesn't. Um, so to me, that indicates that there isn't something as standard. There isn't something that's sort of this, this, we're all making the, this kind of thing. But anyway, the moral of the story is this concept of group beer, it, uh, or group ale, it, it really applies to a certain and specific kind. And it's not a word that I think should be used just to describe any um, ale that just is, doesn't have hops in it, has different herbal additives. I think words should be closely yeah, defined. <laughs> definitely. No, I, I think that makes sense. And I, I think, you know, again, the other thing I, I really love about, um, and it's important to remember this too, the other sort of uh, Hildegard's take on on hops is, you know, she doesn't, you know, just see them as helping the beer. She sees it as medicinal because she's all about using her medicinal plants, but it's it's all medicinal in, you know, in, in a specifically, you know, medieval system. Like it's, it's going to help you with your melancholy, you know, or your bile. So we're talking about your humors and, you know, you want to make sure you're balancing your humors and you're going to need to have kind of different, different things at different times of your life, et cetera, et cetera. But it is really interesting that she says, oh, well, the, the hops help you with, you know, this one specifically. Um, and again, she doesn't go super deep into it, but it's, it's a really interesting way it's kind of phrased and again obviously in translation but you know again it sounds very much like it's based on observation like it feels scientific and not just like a kind of you know folk remedy if, if that makes sense like it feels like she's like oh you might try this and try this and then this leads to that result so again it's it's really really interesting that um you know and, and again Eleanor Yediga points this out that other people were like, no, 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 you're, you're, you know, this is wrong. And she's like, no, actually, no, that's, that doesn't make sense based on sort of observation. So she's like, what if we used, you know, observation to say this supports our, you know, our theory instead of just being like, wolves did it, which is, you know, kind of where everyone else is going. The vibes, exactly, exactly. But, you know, she lived to be 81. Uh, you know, she, she didn't die until 1179. So that's a pretty good innings for, that era. Now, again, that that said, we always see a lot of nonsense about everyone dies when they're 30 or no, no, no. That's no. just people who don't understand how these things get calculated. But yeah. Uh, if yeah. you lived, if you survived through childhood, you were probably looking at your 50s and 60s at least. Like that uh, that number is significantly brought down by the incredibly high uh childhood mortality rate. But if you survived your childhood, you know, yeah, 50s, 60s. And especially like if, if you're one of these kind of nuns and you know in this kind of religious community you don't have to give birth I mean you know sometimes whew, things things happen in some communities but you know not in this case this is more kind of the ladies being friends yeah. with other ladies more than anything else so we're, we're cool with that so you're not gonna have to go through childbirth you're pretty well looked after from a food perspective so you know yeah you're, you're probably okay so and I should I should retract that it really is 60s not not even you know you're you, you're having a 60 odds somewhere in there is, yeah. is sort of the lifespan and that changes depending on definitely um your social rank there were times when upper wealthier men had a higher 
um, life expectancy. Oftentimes they did because they had access to better food and better, just better everything. Um, so it just really depends on your social status, um, what was going on, you know, war kills people and childbirth kills people. And so those are outliers. They can be outliers. But a lot of that is, um, it just really depends. A lot of it is really brought down by this, this childhood mortality. Yeah, um, absolutely. Childhood mortality and childbirth are all bad. And, and then at other times, like you say, sometimes the rich people are eating stuff that's so bad for you that ends up killing them early. Yeah, so, exactly. You know. Sometimes they have a lower rate. So it really just depends on... As with everything in history, it is incredibly context specific and it really depends on who you were and where you were and when you were and all sorts of other things. And if you were smearing, you know, mercury and lead on your face and, you know, all kinds yeah. of fun things like that. Um, I have spent, I don't know how many months looking at medicinal beer recipes and I really don't know how some of these people survived. The, the <laughs> things that they put in beer to cure themselves I just yeah no the fair enough and that's the thing like it does look like from what we know of it her her beer recipe is at least you know Hildegarden what's going on in her you know her two two communities that she had like they're pretty kind of normal you know again air quoting like there's nothing crazy that we would see in these and she also recommends you know sort of a a barley drink as a restorative if you've been sick which you're like that's great they would have gotten some calories you know we're all yeah we're all happy here this is great so yeah yeah there were definitely things that absolutely worked they might not necessarily know why they worked but they absolutely yeah. worked like i i don't want to um continue this idea that medieval people were somehow very dumb because i think no. that is a really silly misconception that medieval people were smart they you know a lot of them knew what they were doing they might not have the scientific data to back them up like we do now but they did understand that things could happen and like let's be real we were putting strychnine in malt tonics in the late 1800s and early 1900s oh, yeah. so we're not really in a position to talk in the modern era about how smart we are um now um, so my god i know it's like <laughs> irish mothers are convinced flat seven upper <laughs> is going to cure everything you know so there, yeah. there you go. Hilda, Hilda Garden was, uh, was onto something. She was absolutely on something. Though, I mean, she definitely sounds like she was fun too. Yeah. Like with the music and the plays and the, you know, basically being like, I I'm going to have people write stuff for me. This is great. Like she's living her best life in the monastery. You know, she gets really sad when her, you know, close friend as as we see, you know, certain kinds of historians say gets, sent to a different monastery and it's like well she was sad because her friend left and you're like oh yeah her friend okay yeah but uh yeah it's it's a whole it's a whole thing she was otherwise you know living her best life got to make a lot of you know choices got to have kind of a lot of agency in a time when like most people wouldn't not even most women like you know all, so you know fair play to Hildegard and definitely like get some of her music and and I'm Sorry, not sorry. More like Hildegard of Bangin' than Hildegard of Bangin' with the music. It's it's phenomenal. And I'd like to remind everyone I'm I'm on a non-alcoholic beer at the moment, so my brain is just that like childish and you know all those yeah, things. Yeah. But again, sorry, not sorry. Yeah, I think there's just this, and I should say air quotes around dumb because you know I I just oh, yeah. get really frustrated when there's this idea of you know people portray medieval people as you know quote unquote dumb or quote unquote stupid um to use terms that I don't particularly like to use but that's sort of the language that people now kind of use around them and I think that that's really we really need to get away from from that idea um particularly um, yeah it's like have really you met most modern people a lot of people are not are barely functional hum humans are yes humans are as they always are as they always were um when we you know when we know more when we have more data you know we move along that way but you know people use what they had and the information they had and and you'd be really be surprised at in terms of the medicinal cures what might have you'd look down and go oh well that makes sense you know because we know now that this and this works that said, I found one recipe that involved um, mashing up a skull and using it in beer. Hey. So to cure to cure something, which I can tell you does not do anything, and do not <laughs> under any circumstances do not attempt do at home 
anything like that. Of course, that wasn't medieval. That was early modern. So we can, uh, we can, the medieval people can kind of, again, pretend it, well, it wasn't us. Did it specify, Christina, how you had to get the skull? Yeah, so the idea... The skull of, of, of a smited of a smited minstrel or something like that <laughs> right so the, the so the thing is so you you'll find a specific recipe in my the devils in the draft line so i'm not going to give too much away but let's just say it was a very possible yeah weirdly binarily gendered and it only considered like if you're a man you need a woman's skull and if you're a woman you needed a man's skull and if you weren't you're not on the gender binary then i guess you're you're right. screwed um and you the person had to die a violent death Strangulation was ideal. Oh, was it? Great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, you'll have to read more about that in, in in the in in whatever. But yeah, and there's lots of things like that. Like it's uh, they cured the 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 plague by cutting a pigeon in half and sticking it on the the swollen lip. Like there's there's a lot of stuff, you know. Um, but then you think about some of the stuff that we're doing now, and you go, well, you know, it's the same as it ever was. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is the same. Um, but I do want to circle back to some more examples, continental examples of yeah. brewing sort of around the time of um, Hildegard, maybe a little bit later. Um, so about 1223, uh, Caesarius of Hesterbach. And I'm sorry, I probably brutalized that because it's a name that I read, not a name that I say. Um, That's normal, wrote, yeah. <laughs> wrote some some stories um about nuns and that hint at like their brewing culture so one of my favorites is the story of sister euphemia and her demon so sister <laughs> euphemia um a demon had appeared to her throughout her life and told her you know you need to marry like a hot rich man and you do this and she was like no i'm gonna be a nun so that naturally pissed off the demons. And so they kind of followed her and tormented her throughout her life. And so one night, and it was literally like a dark, stormy night, the demons come to her. But they come as her nun friends. So it's the middle of the night and they start talking to her. And they're like, come to the basement, let's drink some ale. And so she's immediately suspicious because while well, they're talking, which is a no-no, and it's midnight and that's a no-no. So she's like, oh! The demons, not my friends. And so she does, you know, what we all do when we're scared, which is hide under the covers and pretend it all goes away. Fortunately for Euphemia, that doesn't quite work and she is attacked. Um, but what it tells us is that the nuns were brewing because she talks about the ale that's in the basement. So they're making the ale or someone is making the ale for them. So again, this, this idea that ale and beer is sort of central to the monastic community. And this goes along with, back to Bridges' time, a uh, sort of sixth century uh, book that sort of instructions for nuns, talks about um, jobs and positions in monastic settlements. And one of them was brewing. And it was it stressed the real importance of this, but that there was should be like a sister who was supervising the brewing, making sure everyone was silent again and no shenanigans were taking place but again we're stressing the importance of ale and brewing um because ale sort of occupies this liminal space in a lot of monastic writings it's something that if you drink too much of it you could get drunk and that's very bad but it also occupies this essential part of your daily nutrition so it walks sort of this fine line between this like important part of what you should be doing every day with but you can't have too much of it so you know in irish monk writings you have these sort of discussions between monks about how much should we drink and can we drink ale and sometimes some monastic communities say no you can't drink ale because it's just too enjoyable it's just too much fun <laughs> you like it too much and then you have monks writing back and going eh, no we're gonna still drink ale and i think we'll get into heaven just the same which is basically what he's you know they say back um so there is definitely and and this goes on and on and on throughout the medieval period these sorts of discussions of how much ale can we drink can we drink too much can we drink too little and and what is the line here because people were very cognizant of drunkenness so again i think this actually um does away again we've talked about this when we when we um in previous episodes talking about Irish beer um 
and, and beer in general, this does away with the idea that medieval um, ale was necessarily very low alcohol. It certainly wasn't if they're talking about um, drunkenness and drinking alongside ale. Because right. you can, you, you know yourself, if you drink a lot of, you know, 0.5, 1.5, you're not going to get there. Um, and especially when they're saying, you know, limiting to certain amounts, they're they're definitely talking about, you know, a normal, what we would consider, quote, quote, normal um, levels of, 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 of alcohol in a, in a drink. So again, I think that reiterates this idea that yes, absolutely. These are, these are beverages that can, can be intoxicating. Um, and they're important part again of daily, daily nutrition on the other side. So yeah, you have this really, really fascinating dichotomy. And, and I think you can see that throughout history, just this pull between two different, um, yeah, two different, um, parts of life. So I think that's really fascinating. So, uh, so again, I think we, we've talked a lot about some medieval stuff. We've talked about what's happening on the continent, what's happening in Ireland, what's happening in the UK, but there are still nuns out there getting the beer brewed. So Katie, what have you discovered in your, in your research? I think, um, when you, when you call it research, I think that re- <laughs> the word research is doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. <laughs> I Google Nonsense. That, that counts. But, That's um, a skill. Yeah, there you go. It was like um, in 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 a quite a few papers. Like I have the Independent here, and what is this called? The Drink Business. They say move over, monk. Belgian nuns <laughs> going in on the brewing tradition, and then it's like sisters are brewing it for themselves. Of course, like, they said that. Oh God, <laughs> Belgian nuns join monks in beer making, and I'm like, on, hang on. People who are right, man. Okay, that's a guy, <laughs> Philip. Oh, Eloise wrote the other one. Probably a lady. Oh, I can't you assume think so? their gender, though. But um, yeah. So they're talking about how the nuns' abbey was falling apart, so that they needed to do repairs. So they decided to at the Maradret Abbey. Is that a famous one? I don't really know that they decided to join the lads. And it's like, uh, hello, hello. <laughs> exactly. But their beers were based on spelt, a grain mentioned in text by St. Hildegard. Oh, there we go. Benedictine abbess. Very good. From the 11th century who inspired the Belgian order. So she oh. inspired all of these things. And go. plants commonly grown in the nun's garden were also used. But I hate the way they're like, oh, yeah move over lads the girls are right. joining this what has never been done before in history gendered <laughs> approach it's like my god the nuns have been doing it for centuries and they've been yeah. doing a great job absolutely oh that's so interesting though yeah and i think you see that like every time there's a new like there i feel like every 10 or 12 years there's like there's gonna be a new monastic brewery and you know mostly that the lads like like you're saying and then people kind of lose interest or, you know, whatever that's that there are still like a fair few that are going, but I, I feel like it's, yeah, it's always presented as this new thing, but you wouldn't ever have someone framing it. Like they're out to join the commercial brewers who are also men like them. But you know, it's, it's just, it's just weird how you would frame that. Yeah. So it's good to see they're out there, but yeah, it's a strange, very ahistorical framing of those mm-hmm. stories you don't you don't have to go back very far to figure it out you know yeah and, and actually it's interesting even especially in belgium i would say where you have all of these communities of lay women as well you know who were doing all sorts of interesting things commercially but like brewing and lace making and all of these other other things so yeah that's an interesting there one you go. but yeah, yeah i think that goes along with aspect. the with yeah. the uh with, with the myth that women have only started working recently when women have always always worked worked. (laughs) yeah exactly like this is not new try working on a farm hi yeah don't if you have a choice don't run a mile i'm sorry it's hard work (laughs) it is yes all of my all of my farming relatives would would well i would say would agree but then there's a fair few of them still doing it and so there you go but uh Someone's got to, you know, be getting the cows out there. So, 
There you go. But yeah, so I think before we wrap up, I think we would just want to put that out there to the listeners. Are there any new monastic, ideally nun-run breweries you guys have heard of or any that you would recommend? Again, we know that there are plenty still going in Belgium and uh, a couple of other uh, other places, you know, Germany, the Netherlands here and there that, that the lads are doing. But again, there's, there's clearly uh, some nuns out there still doing this. We would love to hear more about what that's like if anyone's ever sort of visited one of those or has had a beer from one of those. I think that would be really, really interesting. But I think we'd also love to hear like, you know, have you guys seen any kind of more discussion around some of this kind of earlier medieval women's brewing with Bridget's Day, you know, kind of with these things coming up. I think that'd be really interesting to hear more of those stories and not not just from us, because we know you're going to hear it from us, but, you know, curious to know if you guys are hearing those things out in the zeitgeist. So, you know, we're planting seeds and hoping that they all, hoping that they all grow, yay, just as these nuns would grow their barley. And so I tied it all together there. It was, <laughs> it was amazing. I see what you did there. Gonna, gonna pat myself on the back because, you know. Yeah job well done to me but i think uh with that i think we've probably covered it we've got a lot of exciting things in the pipeline coming up folks we've got some interviews we've got some more historical things but again we're gonna keep saying it we've got exciting times coming up with christina's book so do keep a listen out for those <laughs> there's gonna be some events in person as she mentioned earlier so we'll try to keep you guys apprised with those because you, you get autographs Autographs, folks. You know, let's just put that selfies. out there. Autographs are so 1990s. Uh, <laughs> it's all about the selfies these days. Got, yeah, selfie, selfie. So, Christina, figure out your hair color in advance. Well, what if someone tried to get you with like different hair each time? Just gonna, <laughs> no pressure. Put that out there. <laughs> all right. So with, with that said, anything anyone else wants to add about women brewing in the medieval period? Or are we kind of... Have we solved world hunger with it? I don't know. I think we're good for today. I think we've done well for the day after and before the storm. Yes. You know, we're doing okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all have power. You know, it's uh, we all have beer. And, you know, folks, last time we recorded, Katie had run out of beer. So this is, you know, we've solved that. We've solved that. So, you know. There we go. I'm going to say I went to the shop and magicked it up myself. There you go. <laughs> oh, there we go. That is it. So, folks, thank you again for listening. Of course, thanks to Christina and Katie. And we will be back with you in your ear holes again very soon. So thank you and goodbye. Bye. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.